If the clear light is not influenced by causes and circumstances, and it's not independently existing, then by what is it influenced? Do you have a story? ハリシャンワンレ。ラビタンペシャラ。チクラトデロ。うん。ランシンネイバ。コランシンゲ。ラワンディ。マンドゥサンセンコチンテデロ。テデロ。ディケンテロマネ。ね。テカリトン。カリ
And in terms of uh, consciousness, that also has uh, continuity in terms of its parts, uh, in the sense that it has uh, former and latter moments. So likewise, uh, clear light is something which is uh, labeled in terms of its parts. How can the clear light mind, like the one which is experienced at the time of death, be used to bring us enlightenment? There is a way of using the clear light of death as a, an instrument for being able to achieve enlightenment uh, because um, no, there is that way and in order to be able to make use of that clear light of death which comes normally at the time of death uh, it is necessary to have trained beforehand and practiced in terms of the clear light which can be experienced at the time of being awake and the clear light that can be experienced at the time of dreams in the dream state by being used to that and familiarity with that, then through certain very special techniques, one can likewise make use of the clear light at the time of death in order to use it for achieving enlightenment. Sometimes when we get angry, if we hold it inside, we get almost sick. What should we do in order to avoid such frustration? Mm-hmm. There's a saying in uh, Tibetan if there's an obstruction inside a conch shell or a trumpet, if you blow it out, then you get rid of it. And so, like that, uh, in situations like this, sometimes it's very good and helpful to let off steam, to let it out. When anger has actually arisen and we're in a state of rage, then at that time it's very difficult to gain control over it and to apply an opponent. However, uh, the method which is followed is to try to train ourselves beforehand. So beforehand, before we get angry, to uh, over and again think about the disadvantages, the drawbacks of being angry, 
and to think and train ourselves in terms of thoughts of love and tolerance and compassion for others by building these up as a habit, then it will uh, make a large impression on our mind so that uh, in difficult situations our anger will get uh, less and less strong in terms of having made a stronger and stronger impression uh, beforehand in terms of thinking of its disadvantages and so on. To be able to change the mind uh, is not something which uh, happens instantly uh, by a simple method, such as, for instance, eliminating the darkness in the room by putting on the lights. It's not something that works like that so simply and instantly, but is something which requires a great deal of effort over a long period of time, mm-hmm. working gradually. <laughs> Are all kinds of desires and attachments disturbing attitudes? If they aren't, what is the difference between positive and negative desires? There are different types of desires. Uh, Those desires which are based on uh, uh, reasonable causes and necessities, these are desires which are not ones which are to be given up. Uh, Those are reasonable type of uh, desires. So even when one has abandoned all disturbing attitudes, still uh, one will have various desires which are based on reasonable causes and needs. Yes. 
Yes, first part, thank you. The, uh, uh, there is those types of uh, desires, however, which are based on attachment. So, for instance, when you go into a store and uh, you look at all the items in the store, then uh, you take this one and you take that one and you pick up many, many different uh, items. But then, for instance, when you go to pay for them, if you see that you don't have enough money in order to pay for all of them, then you realize that there are some items here that you really didn't need that weren't so necessary. So uh, this is a clear example of how uh, there are certain desires which are just based on being greedy, which are desires for luxury items which you don't really need. So that's a distinction which can be made in terms of uh, desires for things which are unnecessary or luxury items, uh, as opposed to desires which are based on uh, actual things that one needs uh, based on reasonable necessities. Mm, second part. This is a, a rough level of distinction between correct desire or wish and attachment, desire and attachment. However, uh, there is a much more subtle level which uh, is, uh, can be established through, uh, which I, is established through the establishment of the different views. For example, in the, within the school uh, which uh, accepts that uh, phenomena are not existing intrinsically, are not truly existing, then there is a kind of very sudden attachment which is brought forth by this, by this conception of true existence. And this very subtle attachment, which is not recognized by other schools as attachment, this attachment is not, can be identified as attachment only from the point of view of uh, the understanding of non-true existence and is not an attachment in terms of wishing uh, some object of like rough level of attachment. Jazanga? Tenzin, you must derb at a Madebe Cabaragi, and then she tara shape. Then she tara. Independence of uh, the acceptance or non acceptance of uh, the um, conception. Of the, yeah, the conception of true existence, uh, there is a, a, a rough and subtle presentation of the Four Noble Truths. Yeah, that is it. If someone has the karma of being sick or has the causes for premature death, is it possible for us to take these things on ourselves and to give them longer life? If so, what is the method for doing this? Mm. Uh, 
however, there is the practice by bodhisattvas of taking on the sufferings of others and giving uh, others one's happiness. Training They have the training for this. That the training exceptional case And within the sphere of this training, in certain exceptional cases, it will actually work and you will be able to take on others' suffering. It's on the basis, it will work only on the basis of there being a very special uh, connection or karmic uh, link uh, from uh, the past between the person who has the suffering and the other person, such as a bodhisattva, who is taking on that suffering uh, from him or her. So it doesn't happen just uh, all of a sudden uh, for no base, with that, without any uh, previous connection or link, but has to be based on some special uh, connection from the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. We already discussed uh, uh, this morning having fervent regard or admiration for the teachings and uh, likewise having wisdom or discriminating awareness. So now we will discuss mental constancy or single-minded concentration. Now, as for this uh, a state of single-minded concentration or samadhi, this is something which uh, has a common nature or it's something which is shared in common between both uh, Buddhists and non-Buddhists. In a uh, previous uh, life account, uh, before the, uh, uh, the Buddha became enlightened, uh, there was a, uh, there is the account of uh, his having studied uh, single-minded concentration with a uh, non-Buddhist teacher. Uh, and as for this achieving such a state of uh, single-minded concentration in which the uh, mind then has a, a tremendous amount of uh, power or ability, uh, it will not do unless we develop it. Something that we have to have. 
Now, in terms of uh, our mind, we have primary minds and then we also have secondary mental factors. Now, among, uh, as in terms of these primary minds, there are those who assert that there is one primary mind, there are those that assert six, some that assert eight, and some that assert nine different types of primary mind or consciousness. But uh, the uh, most widespread assertion is of six. The uh, five of the uh, senses and uh, the one of the mind. Uh, in the, uh, uh, as far as mental factors, then according to the uh, Abhidharma Samuchaya by Asanga, there are 51. Uh, however, I have seen a, uh, a Burmese text. I haven't seen. I haven't seen. I heard. I didn't actually see. I heard about a uh, Burmese text in which uh, 200 are listed. However, there are uh, innumerable, you can't really count all the mental factors that there are. So, in fact, these lists are merely uh, summaries or summations of the major mental factors, and so it's within that context that we understand the listing of 51. Oh, that thing is not legal. And single-minded concentration, or samadhi, is one of those mental factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, wisdom or discriminating awareness is likewise a mental factor. Discriminating awareness or wisdom is the type of mental factor which uh, takes an object and discriminates about it or it analyzes discriminating away what is incorrect about it in terms of its way of uh, its nature and so forth 
and uh, in that way discriminates what is the correct thing about it. This is discriminating awareness, whereas uh, single-minded concentration is not making such types of discrimination or analysis, but uh, rather is uh, just the factor of staying single-pointedly on the object, remaining with it. So we have in general these factors of being able to discriminate things and being able to concentrate on things and the different types of meditation are used to enhance or uh, make these powers stronger. So by meditating on gaining a serenely stilled and settled state of mind of shamatha, this helps increase the power of our basic concentration. And by uh, doing the meditations and training to gain penetrative uh, insight or an exceptionally perceptive state of mind of vipassana, this helps to increase the power of our basic discrimination factor. 다시내려야 For gaining a serenely stilled and settled state of mind of shamatha there are many objects which can be used as a basis either external objects or internal objects but it really doesn't make any difference Among the various inner objects that we can use to focus upon to gain this single-minded concentration, you can focus, for instance, on various energy drops within the uh, body or also on the subtle energy system, the channels, and so forth. Uh, there's also meditating on uh, internal uh, light, clear light, and so on. There is also uh, meditation in which one doesn't meditate on any physical object with form, but rather meditates or focuses simply on the consciousness itself, on the factor of awareness and clarity, mere awareness and clarity, which, is, which are the defining characteristics of the mind. There are the uh, close placements of mindfulness on the body, the feelings, the mind, and so on. Number 
Now, whatever type of object we choose in order to gain single-minded concentration by focusing on it, we choose an object that is suitable to us, and uh, first we have to take that object to mind, uh, and uh, we have to know this object correctly and clearly. ตาลอฮาจังตะเกตาอันเดเบมาคุมบาลอเบชะราเกตาเอ่อเปเลทาคุบาเบชะนะเกตาเอ่อเปเลทาคุบาเบชะนะเกตาเอ่อเปเลท
When we start to focus on a mental object, it's necessary not only to just know that uh, mental object, but also to be able to have it clear and vivid so that it's completely uh, clear and obvious to you as if you could actually see it. Now, for instance, if uh, you are a Christian, then uh, you might focus, for instance, on a cross. Now, uh, you're not actually looking at a cross with your eyes, but rather you are imagining a cross in your imagination using your mind. And you want to be able to see this clearly in your mind's eye and to have it uh, without forgetting it, without losing the object, but uh, to have a great memory or mindfulness of it. So what we use in order to maintain that object in our mind's eye is mindfulness, this is or memory. This is what we use for holding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the distance uh, at which we should visualize this, uh, we would visualize it about four or five feet away from us and at the uh, level of our uh, eyebrows. Mm-hmm. We are using then the power of mindfulness in order to hold the object in order to maintain our attention on the object uh, without losing it. Now, when when we are maintaining uh, this uh, with mindfulness, what we want is to be able to have that object be extremely clear and vivid. And so what we use is... Mm -hmm. What we are working to get is a very vivid mind, that uh, the mind itself is, is very alert and uh, clear, so, uh, so that it sees this object clearly. 
the, uh, what we are using then is the force of alertness, and this is to combat dull-mindedness, our minds being dull. Dullness. So the, it's uh, the mind being very cloudy or murky or sinking down. A feeling of sort of sleepy feeling. Yes. That use ra. Uh, that mukwa. Mukwa is getting very foggy minded or heavy. Ra. The mukwa member said, Mukwe chingwe duche. Chingwa randi, that's some dogs in Nopter Solch. Full alert meeting, dogs, Nopter. Samsung cast of singleness today. Singleness. Delicious one. That's not an English word. Um, <laughs> so the uh, first one. Uh, there's two uh, obstacles that we want to get rid of. One is where the mind becomes very cloudy and heavy, sort of very murky, uh, foggy-mindedness, I call this. And with that as a, uh, a, a cause or a circumstance, then we get mental dullness that's sometimes translated as sinking, in which the mind uh, has a certain type of clarity, but it's a little bit dull, it's a little bit off. ตัดดิซึมเอ่อซึมกันมาซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซึมซ
Um, when uh, you, uh, uh, the mind is too excited, then uh, what we try to do uh, is to bring it down, to calm it down. Now, uh, when we calm it down, if we calm it down too much, if we go too much in that extreme, then again we can go into the danger of having uh, mental dullness. Now, mental dullness, uh, when the mind is extremely dull, uh, it can also sometimes be called uh, discouragement. In other words, uh, often you find in some of the texts that the ancient translators uh, translated uh, the same word with these two expressions, the mind being very dull or low and the mind being discouraged. Perhaps low and discouraged convey the closeness that uh, is intended here. If the mind is too low or too discouraged, then uh, what you want to do is uplift it again. So uh, we, if the mind has become flighty and is too excited, we tone it down. And if the mind becomes toned down too much and we become too low, then we want to lift it back up. Now, uh, in terms of this uh, mental dullness and uh, flightiness of mind or mental agitation, uh, these uh, two things have uh, several levels. There's rough, subtle, and extremely subtle mental dullness and flightiness of mind. Now, we need to know what these various uh, difficulties are in terms of these levels of dullness and flightiness of mind, but uh, to actually be able to identify them, then this is something that we identify or recognize on the basis of our own experience in meditation. So then, when we can actually identify it ourselves from our own experience in meditation, then we can start to apply the various opponents to get rid of them. So it's extremely important to have an experienced teacher who has experience in all these matters so that you can ask questions to him or her. What is uh, important is to devote a great deal of time to this. So within the I think another word like this. Now, in order to practice this, especially the continuity practice is something most important. So, you see, in daily practice, you see, most of time you should spend on, you see, this one practice. 
and you see uh, short session and many kasori. Many wow. sessions. No, kasori. Many several, short several, no, sessions. Several sessions. Each session should be right from the beginning. Try our best, be a uh, good quality. Wow. Even short doesn't matter. Uh, should be a very good one and short. Like this, uh, then mm, we have to practice this under, you see, what do you say, environment, something, complete stillness, complete silence. So in modern cities, almost impossible. Unless you put, Unless we are put inside a soundproof box. <laughs> and if you see someone under a proper condition, then practice this practice. Uh, through this practice, you may achieve the qualified samadhi uh, within, say, you see, few years. It, generally, you see, in the text, they, uh, I mean, there is possibility to achieve within six months. But that's almost impossible. Mm. <laughs> I can say, under this circumstance, it's very difficult. So at least a few years will take. I think six months, maybe six years. Uh, that will be good. Right. That those and communities and energy big, big. That's same. ピエユカリアナヤコテムテムテムセルセルチンチェ。エニチンギニャカチュンチュンチュンチュンチュンドテデデディカソレ。ジンバメダワドテデセムネディコシェ。セムネソソカレヤ。エニチカソレピケ。
ตัดดิชัยนี่ตัดเทชิงกันเลยเว้ยเวลาเราพูดเรื่องนี้เราพูดเรื่องนี้เราพูดเรื่องนี้เราพูดเรื่องนี้เราพูดเรื่องนี้
and then uh, finally expanding our heart with bodhicitta. When we think in terms of uh, the practice of equalizing and uh, exchanging our attitudes uh, concerning self and others, this uh, involves first developing an equal attitude uh, towards self and others, then thinking about the uh, disadvantages of cherishing ourselves, thinking about the advantages of cherishing others, then thinking about how it's possible to change our attitude towards self and others, and then the actual way to exchange our attitudes concerning self and others in terms of love and compassion. Uh, in terms of love and compassion, which is used in the meditations of taking on the sufferings from others uh, with compassion and giving with love to others our happiness, so taking and giving. In uh, Tibet, the way of practice was to uh, combine or mix together these two. When these are put together, it is in 11 stages. 14. So if you uh, try to think about these and get some feeling for these while I explain them, it will be good. First is the discussion of equanimity. Now, uh, normally our minds are very uneven we, uh, we do not have equanimity. They are uneven because it's the, our minds are inclined towards those that we like, the ones that we feel attachment for, and our minds have aversion from, or we wish to get away from, those, that, those whom we do not like. Whereas for complete strangers who are in between here, uh, we have no feeling at all. So what we need to do is from our own side uh, even out our attitudes and feelings towards everyone. When we think about an enemy, then uh, it, uh, this enemy might be somebody who may have uh, harmed us uh, at uh, some time now. But uh, if we think in terms of uh, other times in the past or the future, this is someone 
who could also have helped us or might help us in the future. So in this way we get a more even attitude in terms of this person not necessarily only being someone who hurts us. The same thing can be true in terms of those uh, friends or relatives whom we like so much. It is in this way that we can equalize out our mind. Now, as for strangers, uh, even if we leave aside uh, the discussion of past lives, stranger, as far as uh, enemies and uh, friends are concerned, even if we leave aside the discussion of past lives, within this past life and next life and next lives then uh, even within this life they can change their position one can become the other so you see actually in reality not at all uncertain so you see thinking this line then try to make one's own attitude towards these things equalize this is the first stage Then the second stage, the next stage, and the third stage, 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 now, the next stage starts to involve us with uh, thoughts about previous and future, previous lifetimes. So we think in terms of someone such as our mother or anyone who has given us a tremendous amount of help and benefit. Mm. It's, uh, this is explained in the, the Abhisamalankara, the fourth chapter when the, uh, when the f- uh, ten equalities are explained and uh, uh, the development of the mind is explained in terms of considering uh, others as having been one's uh, father, mother, uh, brothers, 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 sisters, and so on. Oh, this is, uh, this uh, in terms, is discussed in terms of, the, sorry, the ten equalities which are uh, objects of the path of uh, preparation. So recognizing others as one's mother is only an example here. Can be any of these others. So we just think of uh, whoever might be the dearest one to us, the one who has been most kind to us, and use this as an example. For 
For instance, there may be someone whose mother died in childbirth or when they were very young, uh, and or when uh, they were very young, and so they don't have a special uh, connection or relationship with their mother, and uh, it's not necessary to insist that they have to think in terms or of the kindness cases, of their mother. Uh, or some cases, not so pleasant relation. <laughs> so you see, not necessarily you see to insist. So that's the uh, second point in terms of uh, recognizing others as having at some time been our mothers or someone who has been the most dear to us. And then the third point is to uh, think in terms of all the kindness that uh, has been shown to us that we've received when they have been our mother. So we had uh, equanimity and then recognizing others as our mother and then remembering their kindness. Next is a special way of remembering their special kindness. So others have been kind to us not only when they have been our friends or relatives, but uh, everyone has been kind to us uh, even when they've been strangers that uh, we've derived a great deal of uh, benefit from total strangers. Either, and, either direct or indirect. Either directly or indirectly. And also, uh, even from our enemies, we have derived a great deal of benefit because it is from our enemies that uh, we learn tolerance. We develop patience and tolerance only with obnoxious people or enemies. We can think of the example of this uh, church. We are all gathered together in this very uh, lovely, conducive circumstance of being inside this church building. Uh, there aren't enough windows, so there isn't enough air in here. But aside from that, it's a very conducive place. And uh, we should think about uh, all those people many hundreds of years ago who actually built this building. Now, we don't have any, we do not have any special connection or relationship with those people of the past 
who constructed this building. Nevertheless, it is on the basis of the kindness and the work of those total strangers from the past that we are able to enjoy the present conducive circumstance and facility of this building. So with this as an example, we can extend this out and see that in fact we are enjoying the benefits of the hard work of a very large number of total strangers. So no matter what we make use of, uh, whether it be food or clothing or medicine or any objects, uh, all of these things come about through the efforts or the kindness of the work of others. Fame, Fame is something which uh, is likewise uh, deriving from one person talking to another. Uh, you cannot become famous just by yourself. So no matter what way you look about, look about, look upon the matter, there is no way that we can exist by ourselves in a vacuum. So that means you see, I mean, entire success is something depend entirely on others. So you see, whether other side, there is, is whether special motivation is there or not. You see, as far as we are concerned, it's related. It's something you see very important for us. So this is the way to remind or to remember their asota, the kindness. Kindness, yes. Yes. So when we think of uh, the uh, other uh, practices here in terms of no, the practices no, 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 no. of love, no, 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 no. I think you see, in the terms of practice, now you see, for example, practice of uh, love, practice of kindness, practice of compassion, practice of tolerance, practice of forgiveness, without other, uh, no possibility to practice these things. Now you see altruism, something there, so you could develop altruistic attitude. Without that, there's no possibility to, to develop. So that way, you see, to achieve Buddhahood entirely depend on other beings, sentient beings. So that's why you say, mm, they, how to say, I don't know, one's achievement of Buddhahood, one way, you see, Buddha's, how to say, blessing and Buddha's teaching, very, how to say, one of the important factors. Equally, the all sentient being is, you see, the equal partnership, isn't it? So half uh, 
I'm how far say that gain to gain. Circumstance. Uh, right. Rangi Namjin you go on to Yagi. You didn't cheva? Sanjani on the end. You didn't cheva? Sanjani on the end. So the circumstance which allows us to uh, become enlightened, to become a Buddha ourselves, half of that uh, circumstance is provided from, by the Buddhas themselves, and half of the circumstance is provided by sentient beings. So in terms of one's own attainment of enlightenment, this is something which is established on the basis of having both Buddhas and sentient beings on these two conditions together, equally. So this was in the sphere of the fourth point here, which is the point of the special way of remembering others' special kindness. Now, on the basis of remembering the kindness of others, this leads us naturally to the wish to repay that kindness. Now, we were thinking of the uh, kindness of others when they were our mothers, and on the basis of that, one would develop uh, a feeling of heart-warming love and the love with which we cherish others and would be unhappy if anything bad happened to them. But uh, it's uh, especially in terms of developing this awareness of the kindness of others, which is a special way of remembering their kindness that we were just discussing. On the basis of that, we can develop a much stronger type of heartwarming love and love with which we cherish others and would feel unhappy if anything bad happened to them. So it's within this context that we uh, develop this feeling of wanting to repay that kindness. Now, at this point, we uh, then work to develop uh, an equal attitude uh, towards self and others. The equanimity which is developed here in terms of equalizing our attitudes towards self and others is not the same type of equanimity which was the first step in this process. That first type of equanimity is the type of equanimity with which we get rid of or eliminate our attachments and repulsions. This is the equanimity that we develop now at this later point in the process is the equanimity with which we feel that uh, just as we ourselves want to be happy 
and not to have any suffering or problems, that everybody is equally in the same situation and we are all equal, both self and others, in that we all want to be happy and nobody wants to have problems or to suffer. This is the essential point of equalizing our attitudes about self and others that uh, we ourselves do not want to have any uh, suffering. We ourselves want to have as much happiness as possible. We never feel that we have enough happiness and even the tiniest amount of suffering or problems we want to get rid of. We don't want to have that. And just as we feel this way, so does everyone. All centered beings are All centered beings. That's it. This leads us this leads us to the next point which follows, which is thinking of the faults of self-cherishing, of having a selfish attitude. When we think about the faults of self-cherishing, we think in terms of how it is attitude that we commit adultery and sexual misconduct. We can go through all the various non-virtuous or destructive actions, particularly the destructive actions of body and speech, and see how all of these destructive actions come about because of our self-cherishing attitude. Mm. Uh, we can uh, see this not only in terms of uh, Dharma or religions, but uh, just in general in the world, if there is somebody who is extremely selfish, who always is exploiting and harming others and is always self-cherishing that uh, this is someone who nobody likes and who when they die people feel relieved and rejoice that they've finally gotten rid of this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
फारो पोल The opposite side of this is to think about the next point, the benefits of cherishing others. All the constructive actions or virtuous actions come about because of cherishing others. It is because we cherish and have such sincere concern for others that we restrain ourselves from taking the lives of anyone else. It is because of cherishing others and our concern for others that we refrain from stealing things from them. It is because of cherishing others that we refrain from having, causing uh, harm or pain through sexual misconduct. Then likewise, all the good qualities of love, compassion, having a, an expanding heart of bodhicitta, all of these are things which come about because of concern and cherishing of others. If we think in terms of uh, examples from our ordinary life, if there is somebody who uh, devotes their energy and themselves completely to uh, the service of others in terms of social work or any type of uh, involvement with helping society, that uh, this is something which is very beneficial, this is something which everybody likes uh, when there is somebody who devotes themselves to the service of society and others. It's not necessary to have to think about this in terms of religion or dharma, but just in general we can see that uh, Self-cherishing is something which has, or selfishness is something which has a great many faults and drawbacks. This is uh, naturally obvious. It's the nature of it. Whereas cherishing others and uh, uh, always having concern for others is something which has a great many benefits and advantages. <laughs> Now, who is more important? Uh, we all are equal. Everybody wants to be happy. 
Nobody wants to have any suffering or be unhappy. Uh, everyone has exactly the same feelings. If and that's the same right. And the same right to uh, have this happiness and the same right to uh, uh, be rid of suffering and problems. So if we look at ourselves, we are just one person. And when we look at others, then Now others... Now only, dif- only difference is one self single, other is majority. Now you say forget majority, uh, emphasis on single minority, that is foolish. Isn't it? Catch a majority, catch one. So one single catch a single. So what is uh, most important is society, is others. So if we consider them to be the least important and we consider ourselves to be the most important, that is silly. So in this way, we come to uh, feel that I myself am not really so important and others are far more important. And so it is with this state of mind that we focus upon the sufferings or problems of others and take intense concern about that and with a feeling of compassion uh, try to take on these problems from them or remove them from them. And when we look at, when we focus on others who are deprived of happiness and who have very, very little happiness, then we develop a feeling of love and with that feeling of love towards them, uh, uh, practice thinking in terms of giving happiness to them. When we think in terms of this, in terms of this love and uh, compassion, we think of this not only in terms of, in theory, giving uh, uh, love to others and taking away their problems, no, but also... Not like that, but rather we think in terms of taking on the responsibility ourselves to actually do it. When we take on this responsibility ourselves and accept this, this is known as an exceptional resolve. We have the exceptional resolve to actually do it. Rang 
Now, when we look at the situation in which how will it be possible to, uh, uh, for everyone to be free of their sufferings and problems and to gain happiness, it is as in our Now, here, I think, here you see, in the terms of temporary uh, practice, you see, now those, you see, poor, how to say, people in problem, you see, uh, wherever it means to help. Now, for example, you see, someone sickness, uh, showing a good doctor, introduce a good doctor, or some, in cases, you see, financial help, like that. And especially, you see, in the terms of giving uh, wisdom, in the sense, you see, about education, giving education, or helping uh, education institution, like that way, and helping, you see, medical, uh, medical field, and social work. These are the, you see, form, kind of helping other people in the terms of temporary benefit. Now, in the terms of long-run benefit, in terms of long-term benefit, then just as uh, in order to become happy and get rid of our problems, we ourselves have to get rid of all the disturbing attitudes and impulses on our own mind streams. Likewise, the same thing is going to have to be true in terms of others. They are going to have to uh, have these disturbing attitudes and impulses removed from their mind streams. Oh. So uh, we can uh, help others work for the benefit of others in terms of teaching them what is to be accepted and rejected in terms of wisdom for this whole process. In order to do that, it's necessary for us to be able to know all the dispositions, thoughts, idiosyncrasies and personalities of all others. If we do not know the types of dispositions and the thoughts and feelings and all these different aspects about the other persons, then even though from our side we may have the motivation to be able to benefit and help them, and even though we might teach them uh, the uh, correct uh, valid teachings, nevertheless it might not actually suit the other person and so might not benefit them directly then. In fact, it might even be harmful for some. However, if we have the omniscience uh, with which we know everything that can be known, then for sure we will have the ability to be able to benefit and help everyone properly. Possibility 
then we have to think about the possibility of actually achieving such an omniscient state of mind with which we know everything that can be known. As we were discussing before, the mental obscurations, which are our various disturbing attitudes, these are things which are removable. These are things which can be depleted or removed from our mind stream. And likewise, the propensities or instincts of these disturbing attitudes are also removable. So it is based on thinking in this way that we can logically convince ourselves that we can remove all these obscurations and become omniscient. And so when we have this special aim or concern in terms of other uh, sentient beings or limited beings who have such a great need and we have the great interest and intent to achieve uh, total clear-mindedness and full evolvement, in other words, enlightenment of Buddhahood in order to be able to actually benefit them, this is what is known as a, an expanding heart of bodhicitta. That's the way to meditate on developing such an expanding heart. So if uh, in order to complete the presentation of the entire path and the teachings, if I were to add a little bit more on top of what we've discussed already, it is necessary not only to expand our hearts, but also to actually, with bodhicitta, but also to actually uh, develop some type of uh, conduct or enlightening behavior with which we actually help others. So with this we develop the far-reaching attitudes or perfections of generosity and uh, ethical self-discipline, tolerance or patience, positive enthusiasm, mental constancy or concentration, and discriminating awareness or wisdom. These are the six far-reaching attitudes or perfections. And uh, for uh, the discussion of ethical self-discipline, the main one within the context of these teachings is the ethical self-discipline to work for the benefit of others. No, not right. Something like you see, reason from thinking selfish. Right. Hmm. That teacher. That teacher, ni chindu na ne, da. 
Cimbada, sütümde. O yani kayınca. Söba. Tacı daha sana düzü çeliğini sana bu saçı, sana bu saçı şey yapar. Yani şirifçe, çoğu şirifçe. Yani diye korkuda buluyor, samden şeyini, diye diye, yani yeşil saçı bu. Uh, in general, when we think of these far-reaching attitudes, the attitudes of generosity, ethical self-discipline, and tolerance go to build up a collection. Part of the far-reaching attitude of tolerance goes towards the building up of a collection of merit or a store of positive potential. Whereas uh, another aspect of uh, tolerance, in terms of tolerance for the teachings, uh, for the practice, and primarily the far-reaching attitude of wisdom or discriminating awareness, together with the far-reaching attitude of mental constancy as its helper, go towards building up the collection of insight, or the store of insight. And as I was saying uh, yesterday, in order to bring about what is meaningfully beneficial, bring about the meaningful benefit for self and others, it's necessary to achieve both the body, both the mind and the body of a Buddha. So we need to practice both method and wisdom uh, together in a unified path. As for the way in which uh, these two method and wisdom are combined, uh, it can be within the context of uh, one held by the force of the other. And so its method within the context of wisdom or held by the force of wisdom and wisdom held by the force of method or within the context of method. Here, method is referring primarily to the method of expanding our hearts out with bodhicitta. First, we expand our hearts out, and then, within the context of having a fully expanding heart, then we do the various meditations on wisdom to gain the understanding of voidness or reality. So it's within the context of our heart being expanded out to all others that we develop the discriminating awareness of wisdom or reality. Now, the other way around, it is within the context of seeing all others 
uh, as existing like an illusion, in other words, it's within the context of wisdom, that then uh, we can uh, develop a, an expanding heart of bodhicitta, in other words, the wish to achieve enlightenment in order to be able to benefit all these limited beings who all exist in the manner of being like an illusion. So in this way, wisdom is developed within the context of method of bodhicitta, and bodhicitta is developed within the context of wisdom. The same is true in terms of the practice of all the far reach of the other far reaching attitudes or perfections. One practices generosity, one maintains ethical self discipline, one maintains tolerance and patience within the context of realizing that all limited beings exist merely like an illusion. So in this sense, we practice all these other methods within the context of our wisdom. Mm. Uh, it is just this much which is practiced within Sutrayana. If we go more, more profound and deeper than this, it gets us into the subject of Tantra. All that has been discussed so far is still left, it still remains as the basis. Uh, Tantra is not something that uh, we practice without any foundation like this. It's not something that we just come in uh, off the side and immediately leap into its practice without a foundation. Mm. So if we ask what do we add on top of this in terms of Tantra, the main point is having an inseparability of method and wisdom. Uh, if we uh, ask, uh, how is it in Tantra that we have an inseparability of method and wisdom? It's in terms of uh, having our minds be aimed at a uh, deity, at the form of a deity, and taking that in the sense of taking it to mind, in the sense of taking it to be uh, devoid of existing inherently. Or it can be in terms of having a mind which understands the absence of true existence and having that mind appear in the aspect of the deity. It can be in either way. It comes down to the same thing. That's the condition. 
The way that we do this is first to think of a total absence of all fantasized ways of existing or voidness, and then using that mind which understands this total absence or this voidness as a basis for actualizing what will come next, we actualize out of that the form of a deity. We have this appear in the, in the aspect of very clearly as a form of a deity. Mm-hmm. Tangaranza We meditate on the form of the body of a deity, on the body of a Buddha. Now, the body of a Buddha is something which can appear in many, many different types of aspects beyond our imagination, beyond what we could describe in words. However, in this world of ours, they would appear in forms to which we can relate. They would not appear in forms other than that. And so we have the uh, mind with which we understand voidness. Such a mind would then take on the aspect or appearance of the form of a Buddha, the body of a Buddha, in terms of the body of a deity. Then this is the clear or clarity aspect of that mind. And likewise, it is focusing on the voidness or the reality of that body of a deity, that it does not exist inherently from its own side. So in this way, we have together in one mind both the clarity aspect of the body of the deity and the profound as method and the profound aspect of the understanding of the voidness of that deity. Mm-hmm. This is the general way of procedure in the three lower classes of Tantra. Mm-hmm. 
As for the uh, main uh, methods uh, used in this process, in the uh, two uh, lower class, the first two classes of tantra, kriya or ritual deity practice and charya or behavioral deity practice, it presents this type of practice or path in terms of uh, the yogas with sign and without sign. When we get into the practice of the third class, yoga tantra or integrated deity practice, then it adds on top of this uh, further sophistications or more sophisticated methods in addition to what we had below. And so you have the practice of the four uh, mudras or seals in Yoga Tantra. When we get to the highest class of Tantra, Anutara Yoga, or peerlessly integrated deity practice, then the practice of inseparable method and wisdom is not practiced in terms of merely the rough levels of consciousness, but rather is practiced in terms of an inseparability of method and wisdom on the level of the finest or most subtle level of consciousness. When we wish to be able to uh, transform the subtlest level of consciousness into the nature of being an actual path of the mind, a true path, it's necessary first to uh, make clear that subtlest level of consciousness so that it can actually be involved with taking objects. For this, it is necessary to stop or cease the rougher levels of body and consciousness. For this, it involves the practice with the subtle energy system, with its subtle uh, energy winds, channels, and energy drops. In terms of this, there is the discussion of relying on a sealing partner or mudra. Uh, 
By relying on a sealing partner, then one is able to make use and uh, work with the subtle energy system of the energy winds, drops, and channels to be able to actually convert them or change them into the nature of a path. So it is a forceful method. So by relying on all these uh, sophisticated uh, methods and skillful means such as this, then we get down to the point of what is has been discussed in this complicated text the Uttara Tantra, the Gulama, the furthest everlasting stream. In other words, we are able to get down to working on the source uh, which allows us to become enlightened. And so we are able to remove all the stains from the clear light mind. And by removing all the stains, then the natural purity of that mind uh, becomes what is known as the svabhavakaya or the nature body, the corpus of nature or reality that encompasses everything. And the mere clarity and awareness factor of the mind itself is something that through these techniques is transformed into a wisdom dharma body or a corpus of deep awareness that encompasses everything. And in the context of the presentation in Tantra, then we have the making out of the subtle special energies of the body that we just discussed, out of these, we... Oh, but this is human though. Special energy of that mind. The special energy of that mind, of that clear light mind, out of these, uh, out of this, we uh, are able to actualize the two form bodies of a Buddha, the Sambhogakaya, a corpus of enjoyable use or full use, and a Nirmanakaya, or a corpus of emanations. So we have, uh, with this, uh, we conclude the teaching on the uh, furthest everlasting stream, the Gyu Lama, and although we haven't actually discussed all the words of the text, 
we have covered all the meaning of the text, and so, in fact, we have treated it in even a more outstanding way. <laughs> we may not have done this in the most profound and deepest way possible, but we have done it in a very modern way, which means we've done it very speedily and quickly. <laughs> so now, you see, uh, completed. This time, how to say, teaching. So, you see, among my friends, if you, you find something useful, something uh, I mean, can be practiced, then practice it. Eventually, it can give you some, some result. If you feel something not, mm, not suitable, then all right. This is no matter. I mean, how to say, it's all right. So that's all. Thank you very much. Now, finally, you see, as our, how to say, the Namjuta, Church has had a dedication to you. It is the custom at the end of a teaching to dedicate whatever merit or positive potential that has been built up through this teaching uh, for positive uh, aims, and so we should dedicate the positive potential for all of us to be able to develop a kind and warm heart and to be able to develop altruistic feelings of being able to benefit and help everyone. Mm.